1: Welcome to the deceptively fast podcast. I am Seth Payne. I'm going to have my buddy Drew Hodgdon with me today. We both played for the Houston Texans. We were teammates long ago and I try to convince him today that it's okay. There's nothing to be ashamed of in rejoicing, gloating even over the fact that the Texans are definitely 100% not the worst team in the NFL. Baby steps, baby, baby steps. Hey, if you like the podcast, Uh, where we also get into a whole lot of other stuff, health-related, career-related, all that kind of stuff. Today we talk about the eight reasons that French people don't get fat while Americans, we tend to be a portly bunch. Uh, Go ahead and subscribe and also leave a five-star review if you really, really like it. Awesome. Here we go. true we did it the, the Texans I'll say we because after victories I still refer to the team as we um,
2: <laughs> exactly
1: we, yeah. we proved to the world the entire world was watching and we proved that we're not the worst team in the league and uh, and that's that's reason for celebration is it not tell me I'm tell me I'm pathetic I don't care I, everybody everybody was convinced that the Texans wouldn't win a game this year that they were so awful. Because somehow all the off-field drama was going to filter into. I'm I'm sitting here proudly proclaiming, we're number 27 at least. 27
2: <laughs> <or 28 laughs> or so. Yeah, we are not in the uh, the bottom five teams for sure, like, and it's definitely we. I think like we've uh, we've over the last year and a half, we've earned the right to to celebrate every possible victory. So you know, a- I'll take it.
1: It's hard for me because I played for the Jaguars and the Texans, but because I I broadcast in Houston, obviously, and uh, and because my best, you know, frankly, I'm a selfish person. My best personal performances were the, with the Texans, so I think that's how I decided to to become a Texan for life. Um, even though my even though the teams were better with the Jaguars, it's hard for me to watch the Jaguars who who were so excited about Urban Meyer. Maybe <sighs> have to come to the realization that wow. Urban Meyer Ir- Urban Meyer might have been the least prepared he, his team might have been the least prepared team in the NFL on Sunday
2: You know, I've seen a lot of that and and I don't get me wrong. I mean, the performance speaks for itself, but I still just feel like this is the first game of Uh a brand new coach with a rookie quarterback and a team that clearly needed to go through a lot of changes anyway. So I'm not saying that they're going to be good. Yeah, they they
1: got the number one pick for a reason. That's what you always got to remember. And that's it's not as simple as just sprinkling some pixie dust on it and um, Trevor Lawrence has a great arm. So he's going to be good. That that is a very valid point. And I think sometimes if you look at some of the things that went wrong in the game, those are things that a quarterback usually maybe can get right. Some of the illegal formations. Well, two of the illegal formations were just an offensive lineman
2: lining up too deep. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of stories about, boy, I wonder if urban Meyer is going to quit already. Yeah. And I was just like, "What are we doing?" This, I mean, this is a very competitive guy, and I'm not saying that he he's going to stick it out a for lot, five though. years. But he, he does, we're one game in. We're and, one and game in. So like, quits. settle also, down, everybody. You know, he,
1: he quits after winning national championships. That's yeah, he the, doesn't quit.
2: He doesn't quit after going 0 and one. That's can't a little even aggressive. Do it.
1: Like I'm pretty good at working up animosity for people, and I can't even <laughs> do it with Urban Meyer. Like there's a certain amount of hypocrisy when any kind when any football coach just quits on a team. Yeah, Um, but I think with him, there are at least some of the time valid health concerns, and it is after he won a national championship in both in both Florida and Ohio State. It's not like you can point to him and say, "Well, you just you left all this work unfinished." You you left when things got really tough, but you did you did do what you got hired to go there and
2: do. Yeah. He, he, he didn't exactly, you know, give up in the midst of the program being a complete debacle. I mean, you can kind of, yeah, no, not at all. Or like a Saban when he was in the NFL and just kind of got yeah. ran out and never tried to go back. I mean, it's, it, it's a little premature to speculate when it comes to, you know, the demise of Urban Meyer, I think. I and I, the same thing with Trevor Lawrence. I mean, I don't I felt like I was living on a lonely island watching Trevor Lawrence. I I understand he made some bad throws, it's pretty obvious. It was his very first game. I mean, the guy looked like he has a ton of talent to me. So I guess it's TBD on him.
1: He really does. Now you noticed this early on, in in before the numbers really bore it out, you'd notice hey, he's got just no cool right like he's got no chill there was just there was no touch early on there were some drops by receivers and running backs but he was partially involved with that he was just rifling stuff as hard and as fast as he could and it looked like it looked like he understood that he had to be more concerned about interceptions in the nfl but he was so it was like he was so nervous about that that that's when he ended up just flinging it as hard as he could and as inaccurately as he could. But there was one, there's one throw out to James Robinson, a short pass oh, yeah, throw to the running back. It was just way, it was way too hot for a running back to handle. It was the yeah. kind of stuff that like maybe Brady would do it if somebody was closing in on the running back, but he was wide open and he just threw it way too hard. So, I think once he settles down a little bit, yeah, it'll it'll be a lot better. It was it was
2: all the all the familiar symptoms of a rookie quarterback. I mean, just trying to force stuff that no chance his guys are gonna be the only ones out there trying to make a play on the ball, no touch on the ball, and thinking that he was gonna outrun defenders. That's just not gonna be a thing for him. It's not gonna happen. The the bigger concern for all those guys, the same guys that come out of Alabama at quarterback to me is that they haven't really experienced any hardship relative to having, having to bounce back from losses. He's lost two games. He's never gone through stretches of you know, a, 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 an abysmal you know, four-game losing stretch and having to figure out how to turn it around, let alone two seasons. He's never lost
1: a regular season game in his entire high school, college career.
2: Oh, yeah, that to me is, is it's maybe this is a weird take, but I feel like that is a huge concern.
1: No, 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 it is. I think and it's, it's really fair when you look at guys like Cam Newton or otherwise sometimes. And, and you know this, you played with guys sometimes that it, especially in the guys that went to like national championship caliber or like top twenty five yeah. high schools. Those kids like De La Salle or some of those places, these blue blood high school programs where they just don't lose. They go years upon years of being undefeated. Sometimes those kids get to college and they lose games and they just, it's like their mind is completely blown. They start freaking out, like screaming at teammates and everything because they just don't know. If I were going to judge Trevor Lawrence's body language, it didn't look like he was freaking out whatsoever. It It kind of looked like he handled it pretty well.
2: I agree. Yeah, that's why. That's why I'm not exactly. If I were to be worried, it would be much more about what's going on between his years over the entire season or the next two seasons. If they end up being really terrible, I mean, that's the kind of thing that can be lasting. But otherwise, I think it'll be fine. It's but it's the same thing, man. Those guys that come from like blue blood programs, yeah, that that you're not tough if you make it through all the way to the NFL, never having lost. That's not the definition of toughness. That's not, That's not learning, an example. Right? Of... There,
1: there's almost no mental toughness without no. experiencing some level of failure. That's easy.
2: Yeah. I can do that all day. That's not <laughs> hard at all. Try to go two and 14 and then come back and tell everybody how awesome you are. If you're That's gonna, yeah, hard.
1: You're, like, you're down at the dojo fighting 12-year-olds and uh, just <laughs> yeah. basking in all the mental toughness. I'm so tough. I'm so Man, tough. I
2: can't, I can't <laughs> believe how resilient
1: I am. I you am so resilient. Crazy? You know what's crazy? Okay, do you know who Dan Gable is? I don't. Dan Gable was a a wrestler and then, uh, the head wrestling coach at Iowa for a long, long time. Okay. And just one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, one of the greatest wrestling coaches of all time. But he had a chance to go undefeated in college, never lose a single match. And he ended up losing, I want, I believe it was his senior year, his final match in the finals he lost and it it's crazy. You'd read articles about him you know 30 40 years later he still talks about that loss as one of the defining moments of his life the thing that kept driving him and I don't I don't know if he I don't know if he would have gone into coaching I imagine he would have but maybe he wouldn't have been as driven he was like a unique right. driven individual anyway but that's the one guy I can think of who was so hardcore that I don't know if I, I, he probably would have been just fine without ever having losing. He might've been the same guy, but it definitely followed him the rest of his life. Like it, it, it probably maybe in some way made him more human. Maybe he could understand his other rest. I bet it made him a better coach because at least he understood the sting of losing. Absolutely. And, like, and how yeah. much like he, it, he used to talk about it, how much it ate him up inside to watch his guys lose. And I think cause he had that, that feeling with him, but that like, that's, that that's an, an individual sport, too. For a team sport, there's something to being able to maintain that composure when you're looked at as a team leader and, and things are not going well around you. That's, how, that's a learned trait. And some guys just don't have to learn it.
2: It is. That's exactly right. You, there's no experience like that other than actually having gone through it.
1: Yeah. And then in the NFL, there's just nothing. Like nobody's – you're not going to go undefeated. Uh, maybe you do once in an entire career. And after that, that's like, you're going to lose games and you're going to have hardship, and sometimes your team's going to look like it sucks. What about, okay. Tyrod Taylor or Tyrod Taylor. However, he says he doesn't care how you pronounce it. Tyrod Taylor, I thought had a pretty good game. And, and I think above and beyond the statistics, a lot of his big time throws came when the offense, the offensive line had some really bad snaps like his two of his downfield throws to Brandon cooks were where the offensive line was getting trucked on like simple D line games. And I feel like he won't get a lot of credit for it because it was the Texans versus the Jaguars. And it, even though it was a really good offensive output, it just wasn't a glittering box score for him. I thought that was a really well-played game by Tyrod Taylor.
2: You know, I think so too. I mean, it's all about expectations, right? So if that's Deshaun Watson, that looks like a pretty middling to above average performance by Deshaun Watson, I think like for the most part, because guys were relatively open. They made plays downfield, but you expect that from him. I don't think the expectations were that he was going to do that. So, you know, he benefits from that, but he played, he played well. I also, you know, I mean, you and I text about it, the performance of the offensive line and when they don't play well, I'm usually I'm, I'm a pretty tough critic and in that case, I mean, on those plays, yeah, it looked bad, but overall they played pretty well. They gave him a lot of time throughout the game. He yeah. just showed up on the plays that looked like they were going to be a debacle. That's where I, and, it and ended that's up the being, difference. It ended yeah.
1: up being a really good overall offensive performance because of yeah. that. I think that he has, I, I think a lot of people wondered whether he still had the ability to move and you kind of forget just what he was when he was in Buffalo, but he's 32 years old now. And I, 32 is not old. The only thing you have to worry about with a 32-year-old versus a 25-year-old is whether he can be as durable when he gets hit. So I, right. was, I was really pleasantly surprised by how much he was able to create on the run and then throw downfield. And part of that, too, is that he's got Brandon Cooks. I mean, Brandon Cooks is a really good deep threat, especially if it's on an extended play where he can create some space and separation um, and, and move a little bit out of sync with with what the defense
2: is expecting. But he looked really confident. I mean, he looked like yeah. a guy who knew where everybody was supposed to be when they were going to be there. He knew exactly how to manage the offense. He looked very secure in what they were doing. Like, to me, and that extends beyond just what he was doing as a quarterback. I mean, the coaching staff looked really confident. They, were, they weren't taking ridiculous timeouts. They weren't making terrible decisions when they were, you know, backed up. Not that they had those situations, but just, you know, kind of the special moments in the game where you used to get so – um you were just so used to seeing Bill O'Brien do something utterly ridiculous. It
1: felt and like, it, it, it it felt didn't like decisions were made with like fists clenched, like, <laughs> like yeah. shoulders hunched up to the ears, like yeah. any, the most extreme amount of tension you could have right. 18 Red Bulls at halftime, like whatever it yeah. took to make things as hard and difficult as possible. I think that was a, that was a common refrain amongst people was that even when the Texans had good offensive outputs in previous years it never felt methodical and steady it never right. felt integrated like it just didn't feel as it just didn't feel as as dominant perhaps as this and uh, Sean Pendergast he, he compiled the stats he just went through basically all the third downs like there were very few third and longs in this game they really did a good job of just moving the sticks yeah get third and manageable um, yep. you know they there they were ty- there were several third and shorts. To where they had some, they had some options uh, to, between the run and the pass. So I, yeah, I was, I was very pleased with it. Uh, this week they play the Browns, and that'll be a whole different scenario because I think that the Browns, with between Baker Mayfield and his receivers, they, they're going to be able to exploit some of the holes that we saw in that defense. Like yeah, you know, the, the, some right. of the, some of the zone, some of the hole, the classic holes in zone coverage were definitely there, and, yeah. With with smarter and better receivers and a better quarterback, it'll be interesting to see exactly how it plays out. I think that I don't think the Texans are going to get completely obliterated or gashed or anything. Uh, it's just it's a much higher level of difficulty this week.
2: Yeah, you didn't you didn't see any of the familiar symptoms of just a completely embarrassing yeah theme that w- that was so often popping up in the past. So yeah, it was good. It was a good product.
1: And I don't uh, I don't really feel like I don't like piling on Bill O'Brien. You know, it comes up from time to time because part of the problem <laughs> with Bill O'Brien was that he just he shouldn't have been a general manager, you know. Right. And I, I don't think he actually wanted to be a general manager except for the fact that he didn't seem to get along with any general managers. He didn't want to be, you know, he is he's somebody that maybe after his third or fourth divorce realizes like, I'm just not the marrying type. I think that's what O'Brien's. going I think that's why he's going to a college coach. I think he's, I think he's realized he's not the marrying type when it comes to general managers. And he'll be, he'll be a good employee to Nick Saban for a year or two, but then he can go off and he can be, he can be a college head coach where there is no salary cap. Everybody gets paid the same amount. And he can just, he can recruit and and just be in charge, without him to deal with the general manager or anything. And he'll probably, he'll probably be really good at it.
2: Right. I, you're, I think you, you more or less nailed it. I mean, he clearly knows football. He can make it work at the college level.
1: So speaking of Bill O'Brien, uh, this article in the athletic by Mike Sando pointed out that Brian Flores now has a winning record as a head coach versus his former boss, Bill Belichick. He's three and two against bill belichick i was. it, it kind of shocked me when i saw that they had played that many times and you remember oh yeah they're in the afc east um no no other former coach has done that now i i feel like there should be a little bit of an asterisk there because a lot of these guys just weren't successful head coaches in general but for for way of il- illustration nick saban was two and two romeo cornell was one and one eric mangini was three and four bill o'brien who might arguably be the head best head coach an uh, NFL head coach out of those guys is 1 in 4 against Bill Belichick. I I honestly my first thought when I see that is that those are those are better records than I thought they would be versus
2: Bill Belichick. I think you're right. I was a little surprised too. I actually thought it would be even more skewed than it yeah, was. I thought
1: that Belichick would have yeah. really
2: just taking yeah. these
1: guys to the woodshed. Some of those guys, you know, Romeo Cornell wasn't a, his head. His overall head coaching record is not 500. I don't know what it is, but I know it's a 500. So for him yeah. to be one and one versus Belichick is a little bit surprising. Mangini had a couple good years or one good year, but I thought that I thought that Belichick for sure would have like known all of Eric Mangini's flaws and
2: whatnot. Uh, oh, you know, but Raquel- that's the thing though is that when you when you feel like that, that's just what shocks me is that if you're coming out of that kind of Consistent. Um, I mean, say what you want about New England, but like they have an ethos and a system. Yeah. So you're thinking if you leave there as a guy, as a several guys getting shots to manage entire teams and franchises, that they're gonna have the capability to dismantle a franchise if they know it from the inside. Mm-hmm. One of those guys is gonna be able to consistently do it. I mean, that's what you think if that's yeah. that's how they're being schooled and trained by a mentor like that. And none of them. I'm only one of them. Have a winning record against him it's which to me I mean, is weird. That's weird they
1: are they're trying to beat him at his own game they're taking all yes. those game planning yeah. elements and everything and i think and, and maybe that's what with belichick is as poorly as the patriots have drafted at times in in belichick's regime especially over the last decade or so i do think he still has a knack for identifying Personnel, maybe on the pro personnel side of things, like where guys' weaknesses are, where their strengths are, all of that, and that's what he's all about—is exploiting weaknesses, minimizing the damage that your strengths can do. And I think he does a really good job. The one exception is Mike Vrabel's not on that coaching tree, but Vrabel's had some good performances versus Belichick. I don't know what his overall record is, but he's flat out, flat out embarrassed him a couple of years ago. And and I wonder if I wonder if Vrabel. Uh, uh, Greg Rosenthal from the NFL.com who's a Patriots fan said that there's something about that, that game plan offense in that method of preparing that every now and then you just, you're, you're, your, your numbers come up or you guess right. Or you guess, right, but sometimes you just right. guess right. And there's times where maybe Vrabel has just figured out exactly what the elixir is to, to beat in Belichick that day. So I, I kind of put Vrabel on the Belichick coaching tree only because I know that Vrabel always wanted to be a coach. So when yeah. he was when he was a player, he was taking notes on Bill Belichick's style, you know. So he didn't, uh, yeah. he didn't work for him directly, but he's actually I mean Vrabel's actually in Urban Meyer's coaching tree.
2: Uh, I totally agree, though. I mean, it's like you kind of just by default have to put him in the coaching tree. Is what it feels like. It just feels like that's what the case is. But I mean, beyond that, it's just it's been surprising that of all the guys that have come out of that tree and everything else that. It hasn't become more prevalent that people go with that weird matchup style. People don't really like, you know what it's like. A lot of coaches, it's not a matchup league like in the NBA or in other. It's just not really. I mean, they try. Don't get me wrong. They try to do things like it's a generic. Hey, we're going to match up running back up with a middle linebacker and we're going to. But it's not really as they, they don't get as, you know, um, in the minutiae as as Belichick has figured out how to do
1: I think they I I think that what happens is the the difference with Belichick and Tom Brady compared to a lot of people is their ability to adjust within the game right that that once you you go into a game with a game plan and sometimes you have to change it immediately like you realize okay this isn't going to work today or they've got the right answer for it so then you have to go to plan B plan C and you'll see that that's why so many times in New England Teams would do really well for the first two and a half quarters. Yeah. The Patriots. Maybe sometimes the first three quarters. But Belichick looks at those first three quarters as just a prelude to the actual game. And they and they really, they're just probing you. That's why that, that's why the whole notion of keeping Brady off the field really isn't as much about like yeah. minimizing his. N- you know, number of drives, right. It's minimizing his opportunities to probe your defense and to figure out what's working. Cause it's, it's the worst. I never, I never played against Brady when he was at his apex, but like Peyton Manning was the same way where you'd get into midway through the third quarter or like sometimes early in the fourth quarter. And maybe you had a really good game plan going. And then all of a sudden you realize like, Oh, Oh crap. He knows everything. Like he's just, that's it. Oh yeah. We're screwed. And he's figured out exactly when your safety is showing it's showing his hand or, or whatever it might be. And then it would just take over. And I think, I think that's just where the, that's where some guys can do it and some guys can't. And and very few guys can figure it out within the game, the way that Belichick can
2: spot on. Totally agree.
1: So what was uh, the, what was the other game? Were there any other games that stuck out to you this weekend?
2: I I found myself being more um, engaged in this first week than I have in a long time. I mean, I yeah. kind of felt like I got so used to seeing teams just looking understandably. And as always really rusty and it's not, that teams didn't look rusty, but there were just a lot of really compelling, interesting games. I mean, I like, I, You could say what you want about, you know, Green Bay looking terrible. To be honest with you, I didn't find that as surprising as maybe other people did. It kind of tracks to me. Uh Um, But top to bottom, the NFC West obviously dominated. It's always fun to kind of see, in my opinion, to see the Cardinals just look good. The Cardinals, well,
1: you know, this kind of goes back to Urban Meyer because – I think Cliff Kingsbury started off pretty hot and had some success, but then it seemed like the league caught up to him. And then last year people were starting to wonder whether Cliff Kingsbury should even be in the NFL or does he know what he's doing? And somehow, somehow because some quarterbacks have had success early on, people have completely forgotten that a young quarterback limits what you can do as a, as an offensive coordinator. And, And you know what the big thing is now, this is driving me insane. Drew is People realize and understand that, oh wow, pre-snap motion helps a lot. Yeah. But they act like all you have to do is do pre-snap motion and that it's simple to do pre-snap motion. It is, it is a pain in the ass to do pre-snap motion frequently and do it without making mental errors, without tipping your hand to the defense. Like it's just, it's not so simple just to do a bunch of pre-snap motion. I can remember, I can remember sitting next to Kyle Brady every day in team meetings this one we were this is back in dinosaur days but right. we we used a lot of tight end shifts and a lot of tight end motion and Kyle Brady's a smart guy but he would have like four mental errors a game and we'd have to sit there because Coughlin would read out the mental errors every day in practice and and it's kind of embarrassing you know when you get a mental area you feel kind of like a dullard and and every day it'd be Kyle Brady Kyle Brady three mental errors, unacceptable. And Kyle would just sit there like, I know, I know.
2: Dumb as ever, Kyle. Consistently dumb.
1: um, But it's just, it's not easy. I like all these things that look simple when you're watching the all 22 or when you're drawn up on a, on a whiteboard. The problem is that they have to be done in the matter of seven or eight seconds on the field. And then you have to adjust to what the defense does as you're in motion you have to figure out how did the defense adjust to it? Not just the quarterback, but the receivers and everybody else. And, and how does that change my blocking assignments? Does the defense change? So I, I think that people were kind of pile on, piling on Cliff Kingsbury for his offense being too simplistic. And then all of a sudden you come out and you say, oh, wow, when Ky- Kyler Murray has an extra receiving option and an extra year of experience in the league, all of a sudden he looks like he's good for four touchdowns and uh, four for passing touchdowns and a rushing touchdown in a game.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, there's obviously a ton of talent there. I mean, I think that's pretty evident relative to even some of the other teams that have a lot of talent, but man, you just nailed it. that So many teams got away from what used to be perceived to just sort of like the basics in trying to identify what a coverage is, what they're doing on defense by just moving guys around a little bit. But then it just became so vogue to always be in gun and then to always be in some kind of version of like a hurry up. So teams didn't really want to do it. They'd prefer to keep defense is honest and where they are and not do it and that completely kind of it, it just stopped happening and so now teams are kind of starting to do it again it's just it it goes with the trends of how the nfl flows i i, I love it it's fun yeah. to see how it's changing
1: you know the other thing that's annoying me about the way people talk about strategy and analytics and stuff was tyron matthew a couple of weeks ago tweeted out something to the effect of hey You know, guys, players should embrace analytics. It really helps you. It gives you an advantage, all this. And and people were psyched about it, Uh, especially a lot of the writers that I follow that are, are really smart guys and everything. But I would see all these responses like, yeah, you know what I bet he's doing? I bet he's looking at formations and figuring out what the tendencies are based on formations and down and distance. I'm like, yeah. They've been doing that for fifty yeah. years in the NFL. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yes, exactly. That's that's not what he's talking yeah. about when it comes to analytics. It's the it's the way more advanced stuff, um, and they're doing some really cool stuff. But that's why it's it's funny that I, I think even the people that are pro analytics and anti analytics don't actually understand which analytics they're using in the NFL, that that stuff, that's stone age stuff when it comes to down and distance tendencies and tendencies by formation, it's, right. it's gotten a lot more advanced than that. Well, and it's, it's,
2: I think you, you're exactly right. I mean, we, you and I used to get, Uh, especially on defense too i mean how often would you get the percentages broken down by offensive formation for every single thing it's been that way forever i think now is you know you see like third-party companies they're trying to do everything they can to package it differently it's the same thing it's just not on a paper a piece of paper that's been stapled you know you
1: know what though it's it's the same thing it's the same concept except now it's in the hands of professionals because i had I had enough times, look, and Vic Fangio was really bright. He was never one of these guys that I'm about to talk about. But there were times (laughs) where, you know, Vic, like, because Vic, Vic, like, going way back, used to break down tendencies by hand, like with a hand calculator. He said computers came along. And it kind of wiped away a huge advantage he had back when he was with the, the new jersey generals in, yeah he was you know, like pu- he
2: was like punching it in an old like uh cpas calculator yeah. and there's like a, a reel of paper just like spewing it out
1: yeah you know? yeah so he said when computers came along it kind of leveled the playing field because it wasn't so laborious to, to do everything that he'd been doing so it wasn't vic but there i i had enough times where i'd be sitting in a meeting and a coach would say hey in this down and distance and situation, they're they're seventy per, they're seventy five percent run. I <laughs> feel like they've 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 been in that situation four times, coach. Like this isn't not yeah. I think I talked yeah. to you about this earlier at, at this, in one of our earlier podcasts. So now now you have actual statisticians that understand sample size and understand separating the noise the signal from the noise and all that stuff. So I think that that part's really good. And they have all this this biometric data that probably gives a better indicator of just like how people are operating and what they're doing and just, you know, what their splits are in in different circumstances. So when you start, when you start being able to break down, okay, when the, when they're in this formation, but the O-line has wide splits versus, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's, I think there's more real stuff now, but then the offense also has, you know, access to scouting their own selves too. And so that the cat and mouse game continues. It's a it's a it's a flirtation, if anything. Mm. So, I don't have any um, I love that. I don't have any. I don't have any listicles from you from uh, from any of these like uh, top ten ways to to score chicks or anything this week.
2: Yeah, you didn't you didn't add that to the archive of all the times I send you go. ways to score chicks.
1: I'm gonna click on. I still pay five dollars a month for the Medium Daily Digest just because they they publish articles that sometimes seem like easy fun stuff to talk about. So here we go. You ready?
2: um always
1: it's just eight reasons why the french do not get fat from the perspective of a half french a half french brit so and actually so specific i was thinking about this the other day because remember the whole french paradox thing when they couldn't figure out why french people don't get heart disease even though they eat a boatload of fat and it, it couldn't possibly be nobody could say like well could it possibly be that saturated fat on its own isn't that bad for you no 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 no. that can't possibly be it we've had, right. we've, had we've had decades of pushing that down people's throat quite literally that uh no saturated fat is how serious. else
2: are we supposed to move all this high fructose yeah. corn syrup if we don't <laughs> no. have something else to be our scapegoat we need a straw man to kids. move all this shit in the u.s yeah. kids
1: kids there was a point where where they started recommending that you drink like three bottles of red wine a day, because that must be why the French aren't <laughs> exactly. That's,
2: That's exactly. one of my yeah, favorite I things. To, yeah, I also need to make sure that this isn't just like a cartoon of a French person that we're basing it on. And then the actual French diet, I don't know if it's like a guy like in a, you know, black and white horizontal striped tea, smoking a cig and crushing baguettes daily. Oh, okay. Here's a good one, though.
1: And this is more of a this is an approach to life. This isn't like some quick little, hey, here's eight little tips to to make you look as sexy as a Frenchman. Mm. It's uh, okay. No deprivation means no binging. That's number one. You'll rarely hear of a French person being on a diet, not in a way that would involve cutting out an entire food group. So they eat. I think it's uh, I think what they're getting at is that they eat. They eat frequently and they indulge. Uh, they tend to not to they're they're eating rich foods that fill you up and whatnot but they're not binging the way that uh, that you or i might as a matter of is uh, a matter of habit
2: yeah no i don't think any french people are binging the way that you and i are capable okay so uh number
1: two now this is enough this already i'm falling off of this french plan number two no snacking she says uh this right this, this woman uh lou mar who wrote this article the half French brit she says i cannot recall the french word for snack i cannot recall the word because we don't snack in france and so i never would have had to use that word
2: is that possible i don't know oh, god like there's have... no, is there anything worth worse than snacking elitism
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh you sick. oh oh you snack do you
2: oh <laughs> uh, look at me i have self-control uh Oh, you American
1: yeah. with your Nike sneakers. You're <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: Your inability oh, yeah, yeah. to say no. Feed yeah. me. You
1: can't go three hours without via- being part of that, though, too, is because that's been drilled into our heads for because that was the paradigm for a while. Remember, right. it, was, it was now now it's intermittent fasting. We're just 10 years ago. It was you have to eat eight to 10 tiny meals per day. Keep your metabolism going constantly or you'll die. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah. Who, who would have thought like a country that's just uh, built entirely on buying as much as humanly possible is telling you to eat more, more meals consistently.
1: This is, this is interesting because she says, conveniently enough, the number three reason that the French people don't get fat, accidental intermittent fasting, because the French do not snack in the evening. You'd find that they accidentally practice intermittent fasting, which is all, I honestly... Intermittent fasting, it does annoy me a little bit that they basically make a big scientific deal out of like, oh, I skipped
2: breakfast. Or, exactly. Oh, no, skip eating more. less? Hey, who would have thought <laughs> if you're eating fewer meals out of the day, you're right, gonna but, lose weight. I'm like, right, hey, no shit. Let it's, me
1: explain to you about your insulin sensitivity and everything. Like, no, 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 no. Okay. I'm skipping a, meal. a all science. right
2: Yeah, you mean they uh they don't have a car and they walk everywhere nonstop all day and they don't eat breakfast. The two tracks. Totally intermittent, tracks
1: intermittent fasting works really well for me. As long as I'm not exercising. Once I start exercising and I oh, to get too hungry fast. Yeah. And I get angry. I get really oh. angry. I had, I flipped out. I flipped out on air a couple times last week and I pretty much tracked. It. So <laughs> I was trying to figure it out. I was like, I'm not drinking. I'm not like, I'm getting enough sleep. What is going on? And I realized it was cause I was still working out really hard. And I was, but I was getting just kind of by happenstance, I was getting less than hundred grams of carbs per day. And I was and I was like, I was consciously I was consciously not eating breakfast, but I was also like not getting any carbs at all while still working out. And I just I'll, I'll get to the point where I don't I'm not hungry, but I'm angry. So I'm hangry without actually being hungry, which is just I'm just angry.
2: Are, are you counting fibrous carbs in that or is that just no, total?
1: that's just total. Yeah, the fiber. Mm. I, I do pretty well with fiber. Yeah. Uh, sit down meals here in the UK. So yeah. she's, she lives in the UK. We like to call dinner in front of the television, teas on knees. That sounds that sounds that's sexual almost.
2: Weird. Uh,
1: <laughs> oh, in all weird. my years visiting France and having meals, I've never had a meal away from the table. So, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. that's... That or, ne- or
2: next to a wall in the U.S. Balls on walls is w- what we call that. You you can cut that out. Okay,
1: I don't know what that means. I don't know. That well, they're they're, they're eating, sitting out. down. Use, yeah. <laughs> knees. Whatever uh, you're putting in your mouth, you're doing it at a table.
2: You're doing it wrong.
1: Yeah, I I think um I mean that's a standard one that everybody knows, right? It's healthier if you actually prepare a meal, sit down. Not being right. well distracted is a bad thing. That's one thing. That's one of the rules in our house is uh we're not allowed to we're not allowed to just like be reading or watching television what? while you're munching on something.
2: Why is that? Is that because you eat more? Yeah,
1: your body, you, you don't like kind of pay attention to the normal cues. So you just kind of, you power on through whatever your normal satiety, however you pronounce it. You're uh, you're being sated. You're, yeah. You, you like you you kind of just bulldoze on through those because you're distracted. Whereas like when you, we try to practice mindfulness. That's true. Like, where you're actually enjoying the food and you're talking to people and everything.
2: I like that one. That's a good one because that also just kind of helps with your general. That just makes you more congenial overall.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It keeps you off your phone. Right. It just teaches you to just soak in life a little bit. We're all we're all we're all dying soon, Drew. Just absorb a
2: little bit of this life. Oh, Uh, yeah. No, we are. For sure. Number
1: five, they rarely eat fast food. I think that's changing. But
2: I'm sure it is. There's no way we haven't we haven't infected the Western Europe yet with our with our I'm certain of it. There's no doubt that percentage has can't has to be going up.
1: It is interesting, though, that by almost worshiping food in a way that the French do, I, I think that they probably they probably look down on fast food more than we do because they right. don't just worship. They worship well-prepared food in the whole process of it. So by worshiping food, they end up indulging less because they actually care about quality, not quantity. We're,
2: exactly. We're, yeah. yeah
1: we're, 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 we, we've we got 12 hours of work to do. We need to fuel ourselves. We're just going to shovel mass quantities in and get her done.
2: It's so true. I mean, this just sounds like the most like uh, immediate post-college. I took a year off and went to Europe. Take humanly yeah. possible. But... If you spend like a significant amount of time, not just like in France, but kind of in in that in that whole area, uh, you can totally tell the difference. I mean, you can completely tell the difference. Just the cultural difference, the cultural difference. And both, you know, the
1: food tastes. Yeah, the food. It
2: just it it just tastes. uh, There's not another word that just tastes real. It doesn't taste like it's, you know, it's not it's not fake.
1: They have much stricter. I believe I'm going to generalize here, but I think most European countries have much stricter rules about additives and preservatives and all that. And I know a lot of people. I do think. I mean, there's sometimes where, like, I I do think there are benefits to not eating gluten, even if you're not, you know, celiac or what have you. Um, But I think in some people, there people exaggerate it in their own minds because a lot of the glutinous food also tends to also have a lot of preservatives and artificial stuff in there so it i, I think that I, and i've noticed that with myself um like i do i do feel less puffy and everything if i'm not eating glutinous stuff but if i is, it, is stuff, it the gluten
2: or is it because of all the other things that are like tied yeah i, I right. think
1: it's a little bit of gluten but i think it's a whole lot the other stuff And then especially if you're being strict and you fall off the wagon, you tend to like, okay, it's, it's not just like I had some, some whole grain wheat bread. I ate like 18 donuts and it's not, it's not the gluten that's messing me up. Yeah.
2: It's the entire pizza. I ate that's full of four pounds of cheese too. and like like all the preservative. Yeah, completely. It's like the Atkins thing where I'm just like, I'm I'm, maybe there's science to that, but I think it's just that I didn't eat like four pounds of fries. Well, Uh, I, I, you know, I'm torn with the dairy part
1: of it, though, too, because I do I've gone gluten and dairy free for the most part, which it's it's a nice way to keep yourself strict in general. If you're yeah. eliminating whole classes of foods, many of which are unhealthy, then, you know, like cheese pizzas out, all that. For the most part. Exactly. Um, (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah, Unless you're one of those people who eats
1: nut cheese. The the thing with dairy though, is that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because dairy, I mean, you do need certain bacteria in your gut to digest dairy. And, if you don't have those, if they haven't been cultivated, then all and then all of a sudden you you throw a bunch of dairy into your gut. There's an adjustment period, you
2: know that how so that works. Does it go away and then you have to get it, it back? It, you it, ease back into it.
1: They come back really quickly. They repopulate very quickly. And I can't remember which actual strain of bacteria it is. But yeah, you're um, that's one of the part of your microbiome in your gut is the, the dairy. Now now obviously other people have dairy allergies or they have issues with their microbiome and everything. But like in a normally like in a normal person that doesn't typically have problems with dairy, you've got a certain level of bacteria in your gut that helps you digest it. If you go without dairy for like six months and then all of a sudden, you know, you drink a quart of cold milk or something you're going to feel it the next day and it's yeah. going to be, it's going to be kind of ugly and stinky.
2: Yeah. It's, no, it's, it's, it's a, uh, f- the, you're going through the diarrhea phase.
1: Right. And then right, uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever do uh, when you were trying to gain weight back when you were a teenager, did you ever do a gallon of milk a day?
2: Uh, 100%. Yes. Yeah. I did a gallon of milk yeah. a whole day milk, and I did milk. when I was, I will never forget when I was trying to weigh in at the combine, and my agent <laughs> put in my head, for sure, he was like, look, you're big now because you're not big enough. Yeah. You got to weigh over 300 pounds. You got to. And I was like, really like 289 max. Like yeah. that was not my, you know, and I was like, all right. And he goes, this is what you're going to do. You're going to eat two large pizzas before you go to bed, get extra cheese, extra sauce, <laughs> and then drink a gallon of Gatorade in the morning. No. And I was like, okay. No, So I did it. So I yeah. sat and because Fitzpatrick, Ryan Fitzpatrick, who was my roommate. Was dead asleep because he's some kind of Harvard dork. I don't know if you know this, but he went to Harvard.
1: I heard that. And once, yeah, yeah,
2: I've read that several times every day forever. <laughs> and I I sat in the hallway at the hotel and ate two large pizzas, went back in, passed out, got up in the morning, drank a gallon of Gatorade, Yeah. and then held, didn't go to the bathroom yeah. at all. You held, went it down, all in water. held it all in, went yeah. down, ate breakfast, and that went and we weighed in and I was so paranoid that I wasn't going to weigh enough. And I got in and I weighed three twelve.
1: Oh, <laughs> And you were just shooting for 300. <laughs> and then oh my all God. my,
2: and then my, I had my colon exploded 10 <laughs> minutes later. Well, that's what I was going to say yeah. is.
1: He didn't have to tell you to eat all the pizza and everything. It's incredible how much water weight you can gain. Yeah, how much water you can force into your system. Even if you're even if you're peeing, it just you can bloat right up. Like even so, yeah. You would have taken some salt pills and and drank a bunch of fluids, or just drank Gatorade because it's salty to begin with. You could have gained a whole bunch. I
2: yeah yeah. I I, I, I definitely
1: wouldn't have recommended the pizza because that's going to weigh you down. That's it.
2: I After agree. Hey,
1: that was when was the combine just 2 days, 3 days then? The workout I think, was
2: Think I think it was 3 days three because days, I think
1: you come in, you weigh in, you get there, you do some processing and meetings and then the next day you weigh in and everything. And
2: yeah, it. you have like the full medical deal yeah. and then like interviews and then you had like a couple days of like testing. I think is yeah. how that worked. Yeah.
1: So, but but if you do if on that second if on that first night is when you're eating all the pizza and everything, you weigh in on day 2, you're still bloated. The, oh, it was horrible. Day. Yeah. yeah, it
2: was. It was. It was not great. Yeah, it was. not. It's not. I I would not uh, pass that on to other people.
1: I wonder if um, I wonder if that was good or bad for you, because you have a big frame. I know you're not you're not tall, but you've got a big. That's all you six, four.
2: Seven, six, three for being. Six, real. Three, OK, yeah,
1: but you've got a big frame. Like, I think scouts would have looked at you and thought, OK, well, you know, he'll gain 10 or he'll gain 10 or 15 pounds.
2: I think huge. there's no oh. doubt that it helped me. Oh, now so. the really the just... blowing out my pec at the combine didn't help me. Yeah, but the the weight I think people looked at, they were shocked that I weighed that much for what I because my my body fat was still only it was like nineteen percent. Yeah, or like yeah. Eight, like if you're below twenty percent and you're over that's really lean for a especially guy in like the that.
1: was it were they just using the bod pod at that point or they do? I can't
2: I, I, truthfully I can't remember how they did probably it
1: probably calipers it probably was hard. Yeah, they had, bod pod, yeah very few linemen are below 20 when they use bod pod because that's
2: but for an offensive lineman it's hard yeah, that's, to get below yeah yeah, that, yeah. you know and it was, yeah. so I was like they're like look this guy's like pretty well put together for a guy who weighs 312 of course they didn't know that I lost about 19 of that in an hour but
1: <laughs> I remember I had uh I went through the combine with a partially torn patellar tendon that the time we just thought was really bad tendonitis, I would find out later, like a year and a half later, that it was a partially torn patellar tendon. But I was disguising it from everybody. Of like course, I was in yeah. extreme pain. Like I thought, I thought if this is what tendonitis is, then I must be the biggest
2: wimp on earth because this is this is
1: dry. And I went through like the Cybex, the Cybex testing and everything. Oh
2: my gosh, like where like it's just there. like only aggravating the exact yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And I was lucky because. My legs were so strong that even on my affected knee with the partially torn patellar tendon, it was a lot weaker than my other leg, but it was still way stronger than most people are with their legs. So like, it looked like they they didn't think much of it. They just thought I had asymmetrical legs or something. Okay, so this is another thing the French do. And this would be a dicey one here in America. (laughs) I don't think this is one I can even... uh, I, I don't think I can even recommend this on this podcast without getting sued. Openly call out weight gain. Basically, she's saying that I love that.
2: I yeah. like that.
1: Well, there they, I think what I've noticed about Europeans to generalize again, like a, a few different people from I, and going back to like exchange yeah. students in high school. I can remember this. Um, I think I think non-Americans maybe in general are maybe a little bit more blunt about stuff. sometimes. totally. Like yeah. they're just they're not so concerned with being you know like big happy smiley friendly person they'll just be like oh
2: you've gotten fat huh yeah you know yeah. they and they know their egos can withstand it they're not gonna go they're not gonna go you know take yeah. antidepressants and then... they're not necessarily because they're they're not trying to
1: bully you to death either they're just kind of almost matter-of-factly saying like oh you've gotten fat
2: yeah yeah to, your your buttons way. look like they're working twice as hard as they used to
1: <laughs> I wonder if that's seen on America though People are more and more comfortable with being thick with two C's. So I guess uh, you gotta you gotta <laughs> say you like you're not looking. You don't look thick. You just look doughy. Is what what's happened to you here? I'm yeah, you, but you that doesn't away, mean. But it's not it's not a compliment.
2: That's not that's not uh that's not an approval of like a double chin situation. That's a different kind of. Yeah, you nobody's know what
1: I mean? like wow. You've got your waddle is thick. Exactly. No. <laughs> exactly. Like
2: oh, I definitely can't. Uh, you, you're no, no way. You're buttoning. You're wearing a tie.
1: I want to lose myself in that waddle. Yeah. Uh, oh, that. Lunch, number seven, lunch is the biggest meal of the day. Hmm. Children I can get behind come, that. Children will come home from school for lunch and parents will work if their job permits. Oh, parents from oh parents come home from work if their job permits. Shops will close for an hour and have families sit around the dinner table for a large lunch. That's interesting. They, there's studies that show that that can help your your insulin sensitivity and correct circadian misalignment that makes
2: perfect sense though doesn't it as opposed to like
1: yeah you you probably sleep better too and the quality sleep has been shown to reduce your appetite and uh, And you're you're
2: not just like just absolutely obliterating a huge dinner right before you go lay down for eight or nine hours you know it's like that has to be and plus like they the big thing too is that they're also eating sweets like they, I feel like they like sweets more than a lot of like pastries. Yeah. 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 Not just, yeah. not
1: just sweets, but like sweets with buttery, flaky, fatty stuff in it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And they're, you know, still, still skinnier.
1: Uh, lunch is the biggest meal of the day. was number seven. Number eight is food education in primary schools. I feel mm-hmm. like we do that. Don't we?
2: Yeah. We do it except like, it's like paid for and brought to you by Kraft. <laughs> like in the US, it's like Haribo is providing you the food pyramid, uh, sour straws at the top, yeah, candy I know that corn in the middle, you know. They changed the food pyramid,
1: and and part of it was I, I watched this documentary a while back on the food pyramid, and it I, I don't think it was even like a deep conspiracy theory or anything. Somebody fact check me on this, and uh I'll have to ask Roberta Anding about this, perhaps the the dietitian. Uh, you know Roberta Roberta.
2: Oh yeah, dietitian. she's the best.
1: She's awesome. But like the food pyramid, I can remember learning just old school basic nutrition and looking at the food pyramid and thinking like that doesn't seem to work right. Like I don't, <laughs> anything, like even then? You like, thought like, that yeah. even then? Yeah. yeah, because it was like a boatload of grains and everything. Yeah. And like two or three servings of protein at the top. And I'm like, I don't, the grams don't work out right. Like, the, not-
2: the base, the foundation was bread. Yeah, it was like all lots bread. and yeah. lots of bread.
1: It yeah. was almost like a picture of like you. What I needed to have was like a baguette with a, like a, a couple little uh, chicken breasts on top of it or something. <laughs> like it's, yeah. uh, some of this doesn't make sense. And I think it, I, I want to say that at least part of it was that they have to. And this is where public health always gets dicey. They're trying to figure out a way for it to be economical. Like the, yep. the biggest yeah. blend between, OK, what can people afford Versus what's actually ideal, where I feel like sometimes, especially now that people have the internet and whatnot, I, I feel like you gotta sh- you gotta shoot it straight with some people and just say, look, the ideal would be such and such. You probably can't afford that, so I don't know. Have some canned beans or something instead. But right. it, it just, I
2: think you're right. It was like they were trying to to grapple with a like a booming population, right? And so they were like, oh, how are we gonna feed all these people? Because it is They're not expensive, all gonna go like- out and- yeah
1: have you ever done an experiment where you just like try to figure out okay how cheap could i eat like if you go and you just if you go buy if you go buy bags big bags of grains you know of various whether it's oats or wheat or what have you you can get quite a few quite a bunch of calories with not that much money you know like maybe a Ye- yeah drink.
2: i think what you're describing is uh how to live on just your scholarship check is it, yeah, me, the <laughs> entire. That's what that, That's I did do an experiment like that. I did it for four years. What was the ASU? cheapest
1: you? What, what would you get your? Dude,
2: wh- okay. Your so one of the. I don't know if you ever noticed this, but and I think this is still true. But one of the most bizarre, um, like economies of scale, is the cost of eggs. Yeah. So like yeah. a dozen eggs is uh-huh. like three thirty nine or whatever yeah. it is. You know, like on average, five dozen eggs is like four twenty.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I you, don't know why. Especially if is. you go to like a wholesale club and you get the big tower of eggs. Yes. It's like so you, it's like it's yeah. like
2: four trays on top of each other. How ah, can and then you, you get... not buy all three? I'm probably gonna waste most of them, but right. it's well, still, it's so much cheaper. But fried you egg do sandwiches.
1: It. that's where I always felt like fried egg sandwiches are the most bang for your buck because yeah. mayonnaise is relatively cheap. It's got some egg whites in there, and yeah. you know, you get some cheap bread. And cheap bread, Wonder Bread. A, you get like two loaves up, for like yeah.
2: three dollars. Yeah.
1: Pry up a bunch of eggs, and you got a bunch of calories and protein in there, and uh, and a good amount of carbs too.
2: And ramen, you could just uh, get like like four hundred packages of ramen used Is to ramen be, that you know, cheap? Like, I
1: could never get into ramen. I always felt like it was, if it was processed like that, that it was gonna. I never even looked at prices or anything.
2: Oh, I'm sure it's horrible for you, but it's so incredibly cheap. I mean, yeah. you can get that entire like forty eight count, you know, box yeah. for like three dollars. Yeah. You're
1: right about the eggs, though, too, even though it, it, it was almost, you. it didn't make any sense not to buy the big tower of eggs. No, you couldn't you not do it. You're going to waste <laughs> half of them. <laughs> I I it, was,
2: a, it was too cheap.
1: You yeah. could not do it. Why would they do that, though? Why, I, think, I wonder if we were buying old eggs, too. Like, do they repackage them all like that? And they're trying to sell them to, they're like, okay, we got to get these moved out to the college kids.
2: It had to be. I have no, the same thing for yogurt. You could get a giant gallon thing of vanilla yogurt. For you know, like two or three bucks. If you got the individually packaged ones, they were seven times more expensive. I'm gonna look
1: this up right now. How much for a gross of eggs?
2: A, a gross is
1: What's that the like going a- price of a gross of eggs? 144 items, US retail price. I don't know. This is not gonna work. Um, but yeah, egg prices in the US peaked in 2015 when a dozen eggs cost 2.75. Is that
2: still? That's not
1: bad. I'm going, to tell, uh, I'm going to tell Brandy today that we're going on an experiment. I'm going to need to eat on $5 a day for as long as I can. She'll be, I think you could do
2: it. I think you could do it. Yeah, I could, but I'll, uh, but I'll be grumpy. You could definitely do it. Yeah. It would be terrible for you, but you could do it. Well, I don't have to do a lot of stuff that's terrible for me. It's
1: the experiment. You do a, do a one month experiment, your body can handle that. Oh,
2: like I like this. Should like we just month? do a thing where it's like every month we do a new experiment? Oh yeah, we could do that. Let's just do... take like like do, are we taking suggestions or are we doing it on our own? We source it internally.
1: I could take suggestions. We can you know what we should do is just uh we'll assemble a list of kind of in vogue diets and exercise routines and everything and just pick one out of a hat.
2: I'm into that. I would definitely do that. Okay. Yeah, we'll I'd be I'd out. be on top of the di- I'd be on top of doing an experimental diet and or workout. The workout thing's tough because there's a lot of stuff I like literally can't do. But
1: Yeah. Oh, oh! you know what I could do? I'm going to send you. I, I started working on my cocktail of different things that I'm going to do for my joints because I was tired of not being able to do like a few like j- I was tired of not being able to just jog 200 yards when I need to jog 200 yards because I've got yeah. meniscus issues. Um, so I'm just going to I'm going to uh, before I get my knee re- knees replaced, I'm going to just try to make it as active and physical as possible using nothing but good, nice. good sneakers Lots of stretching and a boatload of different supplements, uh, like hopefully non-Advil type supplements. I
2: love that. So I got, have w- I really want to see how that turns out because I'm right behind you.
1: There's a special Baswellia serrata extract that I'll have you take. There, um, fi- a boatload of fish oil. Um, there's one other thing. Oh, just CBD, a good CBD. And I've this been is this is great,
2: good. Joe Rogan content.
1: Yeah, I know. Yeah.
2: <laughs> this, is this is pinnacle Rogan well, content.
1: Yeah, but uh, this is the whole thing. This is the kind <laughs> of stuff that the medical establishment isn't making any money off of. They don't want
2: you to know yeah, about this because know. of the because of the margins. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, I'm making money off of it, but but the medical right. establishment isn't. So you gotta Who do talk. you want to give your money? You want to support me or them? <laughs> you know, it's like
2: eh, well. Yeah.
1: So all right. Okay. Well that'll be our plan next week. I'll have a regimen for you. Awesome. Oh, hey, good. We did. Also, just to keep you updated, we were going to try to keep this to a half hour. I think we're at about fifty minutes right now. So, <laughs>
2: <laughs> nail it. Yeah, yeah perfect. Gonna, why
1: don't you go to diet diet with your words next hey, time?
2: Hey, I've had nice. I have had multiple people tell me, you know what? I bet why did they get shorter? I like oh when really? longer. Yeah, I have. Um, it's I real, find true that feedback. usually,
1: I, that's what I, I think usually I've, I've noticed this when I interview people. Usually, the first twenty minutes is like the part that. I find the most boring. And then as mm. soon as you say like, okay, that's about it. All of a sudden you end up having like 20 minutes of really interesting conversation. It's like, it's somehow like that's when the barriers break down. It, totally. So it's a, it's probably like, I don't know. They probably recommend 20 minutes of foreplay or something in sex, but who's got time for that. But if, yeah, you, did, exactly. if you did, it would probably
2: be really good. Theoretically.
1: And no, uh, everybody knows that we know what we're talking about with that stuff. Cause we did that, um, I've had sex. <laughs> no, we did that. Uh, oh. What was that clitoris thing we did? <laughs> you and I. Are, are you doing
2: yeah, the uh, hand motion on purpose? I wish this was, I wish, I, podcasting, yeah. I wish podcasting was more of a visual medium
1: because you're I literally mean, yeah. doing like a, kind of a, fig- a, a clockwise motion <laughs> yeah, with my yeah, finger. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, Everyone knows that. you spell the alphabet. Everyone knows that. Remember that thing about the female orgasm cult? The- I remember all the things about.
2: I was just talking about the female orgasm call yesterday with, with somebody. A, with I was who? just recapping. <laughs> I was I was small well, with my with my financial advisor. How do you <laughs> surely? How do you,
1: how do you talk somebody into going to the female orgasm
2: call? <laughs> I don't know. I was <laughs> trying to. I was going through my junk drawer looking for flyers. I'm still not
1: convinced. <laughs> Look, you know in I, I forgot about that female orgasm call, and I'm still not convinced it's not just. Like a way for for guys to try to yes to- <laughs> that is what it is yeah that is like, exactly what it is they like they've got this whole they they figured out layers of an organization to try to figure out a way to you know for prostitution me, to finger women yeah for yeah for cash, or whatever know. that is yeah I don't know yeah, yeah it was a, kind of I don't think there was actual
2: penetration or anything but yeah fingering yes. is penetration
1: yeah but I don't think they finger I I serious.
2: know that that's Penetration? Well, you mean like legal, like like uh, no, I think they were just all about clitoral stimulation,
1: like what they're doing at that female orgasm cult. It was just like they focused like a laser in on like the where's the the clit? The oh man, I thought they were focused on like the one, the top left quadrant. (laughs) Uh, Wait, are you saying it's in front of the bubble? <laughs> it's, it's not even. Oh,
2: All right, man. that's where we got to go. That's enough. Okay, This is right. a
1: PG podcast, damn it. Sorry. Sorry. All right, buddy.
0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.